for them and, and the team that's ministering to them. So church, our scripture reading for this morning is from Luke chapter 8, verse 22 to 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with, wa- with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him. Thank you, Tuli. Let's clap it up for the students and the student ministry team again. Just amazing. Um, whole slew of kids on that retreat, and God did mighty things. Just praise God. Um, where's Bobby? We're going to clap a little more. Bobby, Bobby, he's hiding. He purposely did that. He's hiding in the back. Uh, Bobby got a fantastic job. He is transitioning off at the end of February to work at a production company in Baltimore. Uh, We are going to miss him dearly. Uh, We're going to celebrate him on the 25th uh, in a couple weeks here. Uh, So please make sure you are here on the 25th. Uh, to celebrate Bobby, uh, who served as the uh, worship director for nearly seven years here. So, uh, Bobby, no one can see you because you purposely hid, but can you stand up? I know. And and let's clap for Bobby again. Just thank you for leading us in worship and for the team you've created. Uh, We can't wait to celebrate you on the 25th. Uh, Darren uh, Smith, who you've seen up here on Sunday mornings, is going to uh, fill in that role, is going to lead as uh, the interim worship director. So uh, uh, as, we, um, as, as we see Bobby go, let's pray into Darren uh, as he leads us. Uh, it's God's provision. Darren uh, has a heart and a skill for worship as well. I can't wait uh, for him to lead us, the Lord, on Sundays and the team uh, that he's leading as well. Uh, building on the teams that Bobby has built uh, by God's grace. Uh, so please come on the 25th. Uh, we'll have a big celebration after worship uh, in the annex and the surrounding area. So, uh, Also, a little more family news, uh, building updates. So we have begun discussions, as you know, with three different properties in the area here in Silver Spring. Uh, they're all like uh, God stories, a bit impossible. Uh, one particularly is, and it, it seems to be the bullseye one, that we're just praying, Lord, would you do this? So uh, would you pray along um, uh, with me and uh, all of us together as a church? Would we just pray? Uh, we're going we're gonna to hear word at the beginning of March from this uh, one church in the area here, right in the heart of Silver Spring, less than a mile from where we are right now. Uh, and we're going to hear a word from them, a yes or no, of would they uh, want to move forward with us in the process uh, and more formally uh, move towards a possible contract. So uh, we will hear that yes or no uh, in the beginning of March. So uh, if you're willing and able, would you uh, kneel with me and we'll pray together. Uh, in a sense for the impossible, God, would you provide a space for the Well Community Church to preach the gospel and plant churches for generations to come. So uh, let's, let's pray all out loud, all at once uh, in a jumble. The Lord will hear our prayers. Uh, let's pray all out once, uh, all at once, all out loud. Let's pray now. God, give us this space, uh, we ask.
And now let's pray silently as we come before his scriptures, his word that uh, we might hear from him and he might transform our minds, our hearts, our lives. So let's come before him now and humble ourselves before him. Uh, Maybe begin in praise, praising him for who he is, what he's done for us and his son, and then ask him to speak to you in this sermon through his scriptures for his purposes. So let's pray silently before our God now. Father, every Sunday morning we come before you and ask your spirit to do the impossible in our lives. We know how hard our hearts are, how stubborn our minds are, who we are as people who live for ourselves and not for you and not for others. And so again, we ask that you would transform, you would change us. God, would you get into our minds and hearts and and reshape us from the inside out that our lives would look different, that we would be people who glorify you in everything we do. We know that is where the deepest and greatest joys are in living for you fully. God, would you, would you change us this morning that we would believe in you to do the impossible in our lives? God, even as we pray about these different church building opportunities, uh, we look at them and say, God, God, truly they look impossible. They're too much money, or or that church wouldn't want to sell to us, or that wouldn't work, or how could we renovate that space? And God, uh, we with open hands this morning just pray that you would provide the right space in your timing, by your provision, that it would be your story, and that you would sink our roots here as a church for generations to come to preach the good news, to share the love of Christ, to bless the community, to plant churches, to to be at work internationally with the good news of the gospel, to disciple our kids that they might know you and grow up knowing you, loving you, following you right here in this area. God, would you do the impossible? We know you are able. It would be your story. We couldn't claim a bit of it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I have uh, a new favorite song. Uh, it's by Maverick City. It's You Are More Than Able. It goes, you are more than able. And then there's this line that says, uh, who am I to deny what the Lord can do? Who am I to deny what the Lord can do? I was at my friend's installation service, and it was one of those moments where uh, we as close buddies and pastors were, were just kind of huddled up saying, wow, God, and they sang that song there. Uh, who am I to deny what the Lord can do? You are more than able. You, you put this guy in this place of leadership and service to you and the gospel here in this area, and we say, wow, what might you do, not only in his life and through this church, but in my own life, right? Uh, we ask that question, uh, you are more than able, or we we, we we declare, sorry, we declare that truth. You are more than able. And then I, I, I found myself stepping back saying, asking that question, you know, who am I to deny what the Lord can do? 
I think back over the, the story of our church, right? Here we are, our church. <laughs> Built on the cornerstone of Christ by His might, His mercy, His power, His sovereign plan. And I remember, you know, pulling up with Courtney uh, 10 plus years ago now. And, uh, you know, the church was six people at that time. Me, Courtney, and four kids. We had to grow the church, so we had more kids. And we pulled up, and we're like, okay, where? <laughs> we like started looking around. It's like, there's nobody else, right? And so we just started talking with people, inviting friends. And at some point, uh, those friends invited friends. And, uh, these, uh, and, and God connected people from all over the place. There were 48 people in our basement in, in Woodmore right here up the road. And we, we, we asked, man, who am I to deny what the Lord can do? You are more than able we're like, oh gosh, where are we going to meet next? And, and uh, I got to preach at a nearby church, and there was somebody in the congregation there, and, and he said, oh, I'm, I'm head of sales at Riderwood. It's an old folks home right up the street. And he goes, why don't you guys meet in a, uh, right in our conference room and for free, you can come do that there in this auditorium. We're like, okay. So we did that. And God kind of kept opening door after door as, as, as lives were transformed and community groups grew and, and multiplied throughout the city and, and 48 turned into uh, 60 or 70 to 90 then, then the, the body that exists. And, and then we said, man, uh, how's God going to provide a space for us right now uh, as we are seeking to uh, sink our roots in, in this area for generations and preach the gospel and plant churches and see the nations reached? How is God going to give us a space? And it's the middle of COVID, and we're like, man, we gotta, we've lost opportunity after opportunity for different buildings, and we're like, we got to, okay, we, we need to see the Lord bring in money that we can buy a place, but it's the middle of COVID, and no one is sitting in these pews, like it's empty, we're not allowed to gather, but this is, the, and then, then the parking lot was taken away, we're like, okay, I guess, I guess we'll ask people to give generously in the middle of COVID when no one's here, there's no parking lot, this sounds terrible. <laughs> and so we just, everybody in the body said, we're in on this. And $1.2 million was given in the middle of all that to now the point we have uh, about $2 million cash ready to go to purchase one of these buildings. And we say, who am I to deny what the Lord can do? It's not about buildings or having a building. I think back of, man, I got this phone call a couple years back, and this one family was trying to adopt this child, and then it just seemed impossible. It looked like the courts were taking this child from them. And everyone prayed like crazy. And then the Lord did it in a way where they said, wow, he can come into our family and be our son. And we said, who am I to deny what the Lord can do? This other guy gets leukemia. And we think, man, this does not look good. In the very beginning of the church, we're praying. And then the perfect match comes up. And he gets this match. He gets a, a bone marrow transplant. And man, dude is just living for the Lord uh, with his wife and kids. They're trying to, and it's like, who am I to deny what the Lord can do? My neighbor who says, Matt, never talk to me about stuff about Jesus. I, do, I never want to talk about it. I know you're a pastor. I don't want to talk. Well, I get to baptize him in a kiddie pool in his backyard. Who am I to deny what the Lord can do? He's like, we'll do it in a kiddie pool. <laughs> 
He invited his friend over. His dad and mom were there. This 35-year-old dude. I mean, I'd never done a baptism like that. That kiddie pool was like, was like trying to splash water on him. It's ridiculous. Last night, last night, I went salsa dancing. Who am I to deny what the Lord can do? Courtney, man, she just thought, God must be alive. Until I danced, and then she's like, no. Even God ain't that powerful. I'm like, you know, that's... That's why I don't dance. I don't dance, you know. I do not dance. Um, What we're going to do, we're going to look at three stories. I'm just going to let the stories speak for themselves. We're going to go through them. There uh, there are three stories in a row right here in Luke chapter 8 where God uh, and Jesus particularly is trying to prove to you and to me that he is trustworthy, he is able, he is mighty. There is nothing he cannot do. Now the first story, Jesus calms a storm. The second story, Jesus heals a man with many demons. The third story, uh, Jesus raises a guy's daughter from the dead. So we'll look at each story and then Uh, That'll take the bulk of our time. Then we'll just summarize one idea out of them. Uh, And then we're just going to give us some time of self-reflection at the end of that as we sit uh, before our God uh, and before the impossible in your life. Uh, Because my guess is there's something in your life right now where you're like, I don't think you could do that. I don't think you could do that. All right, three stories, a summary idea, and then some self-reflection. So let's get into this. We're in uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 22 and following. Jesus calms the storm. Uh, One day, Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they got out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. (laughs) You kind of have to laugh there, (laughs) Uh, Jesus, you know, because we know where this is headed, right? Uh, Jesus says, hey, come get into the boat. And, and then we're like, I'm in. I, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, right? Maybe you said that in your life. I, I'm going to follow you. And then he falls asleep at the wheel, right? We, we've joked, uh, Jesus, take the wheel. And then he's snoozing at the wheel, falls asleep. And you get cancer. Or that relationship in your life that's so critical crumbles. Or that relationship you long for in your life never shows up. And you think, and I think, oh, he fell asleep. He left me out here. We're deists, right? He did his thing, made creation, stepped back and said, I hope it runs all right. And he falls asleep at the wheel. It gets worse, though. Because if we read that first verse carefully, verse 22, what we realize is he's not asleep at the wheel at all. He says, hey, let's get into the boat. He says, let's go across to the other side. He is like right at the wheel. He's taking them into the storm. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went 
and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Uh, let's not miss the contrast here, right? Like uh, the storm uh, comes up on the Sea of Galilee, which is uh, normal for the Sea of Galilee. So it's, it's a huge, it's sometimes it's called a lake or a sea. Uh, on the east side, you've got these uh, mountains, and so the wind kind of rushes down these mountains in a quick way, and, and the sea is 700 feet below sea level. So it kind of is perfect uh, to whip up this storm as the wind comes down here, and it's the cool wind, and then it's warm here, and, and these huge waves start coming up and, and filling their boat with water, and they were in in danger and they are terrified and Jesus is sleeping we get a sense that that Jesus uh, isn't scared of anything or anybody or any moment that often terrifies us he is that mighty he is that sovereign he's that powerful he is God and he's asleep as things are raging around the disciples they think they're in trouble jesus knows they're not they went and they wake him up they say master master we are perishing they're not wrong <laughs> they're not wrong it is very dangerous in this moment he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and were calm uh, jesus who made the seas uh, with a his word, his voice now uh, speaks to the seas and the wind and, and immediately whew, calm. He rebukes nature and then he rebukes his disciples. And he said to them, where is your faith? It's like a dagger. It's like, oh, <laughs> man. No, but Jesus, you don't know, like, you don't know what's going on in my life. Or master, master, like, I'm perishing here. Like, I don't have a job, and that's where I find my provision. My job is my provider. Don't you know that? Where is your faith, he says. And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? They're scratching their heads. They've called him master, master, but it is insufficient in their minds and their hearts. They don't realize who's in the boat with them. And they're starting, the, the, the curtain is being pulled back. Uh, the glory of God is being shown in Christ. And they, uh, he is revealing who he is to his disciples uh, as, as uh, the son of God, the, the, uh, the most high. Uh, a quick summary of this story, and we'll move on to the next one. Storms show he is able, and they reveal where our faith is. Storms show that he is able. As he either calms them or carries us through them, and they reveal for us where our faith is, where we are placing our faith, our trust. I see the object of our faith is way more important than even how much faith we have. Where are we placing our faith when we are placing our faith in our job for our provision and security and a storm comes and rips that away, we will see. When we are placing our validation, our embrace, our worth in a relationship, and it either does not come or it falls apart, we will see. 
And in the midst of it all, as it's all falling apart around his disciples here, what they realize is, wow, he is God. He is mighty. He has power and ability even over the wind and the waves. Uh, Jacob's been wrestling, uh, and I've told some wrestling stories in here. I, I just um, learned uh, the, the move he's using is called the concrete mixer. I mean, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> he ties up with the guys are standing, and then he locks his arms in, and then he does this thing where he flips them <laughs> from their feet down to the mat and pins them. I think it's pretty amazing. <laughs> Uh, the concrete mixer, and he gets a pin, and I'm like, whoa! Well, had it not been for one of our other friends, a, a dad of one of uh, Jake's closest sons, Jake would not be wrestling. See, this guy who's this kind of big, burly, I'm trying to make myself big and burly, it's not working. <laughs> this big, burly guy said, you got to get your son wrestling. And after years of him asking, uh, finally, uh, Jake uh, started wrestling. That guy, uh, the Burley guy, became a, a dear friend of ours, uh, nearly family, and uh, then uh, they went off uh, in his uh, job uh, in intelligence, and uh, then he lost his job, which was his kind of like, man, that was the job they were waiting for, and he got cancer, and the storm raged, and things fall, fell apart. And then at 3Ds a year or so ago, he... He was sitting telling the story on our deck, and the way he voiced it was, when everything fell apart, he found out who God was and how stable and mighty and merciful and kind he is. And he clinged to Christ in those moments. He realized where calm and peace and security and purpose is found. Uh, see, in the storm, uh, we realize who our God is, and we realize where we're placing our faith. Oh, what an able, mighty, merciful God. Who am I to deny what the Lord can do? Uh, Jesus isn't done. Uh, in the midst of the storm, he reveals who he is and where our faith is found and, and beckons us then to place our faith in him. He's not done showing off who he is, and, and uh, Jesus will now move towards healing this man who is possessed by many demons. Uh, this is verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. From a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. Uh, the picture, they have gone uh, probably southeast across uh, the Sea of Galilee, and they're now in Gentile country. And there's this man who is possessed by demons. Listen to some of the descriptors. He's from the city, but he's out here in the desert, the wilderness. He has demons. He's had them for a long time. His clothes are in rags or none at all, and he not lived in the house for a long time. Where does he live? Among the tombs. He's as good as dead. Uh, later, down in verse 29, we'll get more descriptors. He was kept under guard. He's bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by this demon into the desert. He is as good as dead. When Jesus saw him, verse 28, 
He cried out, this is the man and the demons probably crying out, and fell down before him and said in a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? The disciples were scratching their head at who Jesus is. The demon knows right away. Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you, do not torment me, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of this man. For many a time, the spirit had seized him. He was kept under guard, bound with, we heard these descriptors, chains and shackles, break the bonds, be driven by the demon in the desert. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. Uh, legion is a term for uh, this Roman uh, guard of uh, hundreds, maybe 600, and many demons. Uh, uh, some have uh, kind of thought maybe there's some trauma back in his life as well that is impacting just the, what has got this guy captured in his mind and life, as well as a spiritual warfare that is going on as he's possessed by demons. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. It's another word kind of for hell or where God would keep uh, these demons. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. You see, uh, these demons know who Jesus is. They've declared who he is. They're begging. They know that they're under his authority. They know he is greater. He is mighty. They're just not embracing him as the Christ or their Savior. So he, then Jesus, gives them permission Listen to what happens. This is wild. Then the demons came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. This whole herd of pigs, uh, the people's livelihood, goes rushing off the cliff into the Sea of Galilee, and they all drown. And the man is healed. Then the herdsmen saw what had happened, and they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, very alive, very at the feet of Jesus, very alive. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it, now they're going to get a first eyewitness account, uh, told them how the demon-possessed man had been helped. Now, here's what you would expect, right? Praise God! That crazy guy is saying, whoa, God can do the impossible. Let's worship this Jesus. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. It might be they're just kind of uh, in awe of his might in a way they're like, wow, we can't be anywhere near him. Get away from us. It might be that they're angry that their livelihood is now gone and all these pigs that they had used for survival are all drowned. It might be they just don't know what to do with this Jesus. But listen in contrast, verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged, same word that demons were doing, begged that he might be with Jesus, but Jesus sent him away. You get the picture, or you got this one group that's saying, oh man, that, that's not normal. That's like a God to get out of here, Jesus. We don't want anything to do with you. And then Jesus uh, has healed this man, and the man is begging, I want to be with Jesus. Man, I can't believe you could do something like that. I want to give you gratitude and embrace and trust. I want to stay with you. 
And Jesus in, in, instead, though, he says, hey, look, you got some work to do, obviously, because everyone in this town ran away from me. Return to your home. Declare how much God has done for you. Even Jesus' mercy in that moment to say, go tell the good news. Go tell the God story to everyone who just ran from me. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus, who is God, had done for him. Uh, quick summary in this story. When division comes, uh, when we realize he is able. See, uh, when we see how able our God is, what he does and how he saves, how he moves, it creates this dividing line of embrace or rejection, trust or fear and running from. When you get that job, you say, dang right I did. Do you see my resume? My CV is awesome. <laughs> or do you say, praise God? Is there gratitude and trust when God does the impossible? When that healing comes, do you say, it's because I exercised and I ate well? Or do you say, wow, praise God for his mercy? Now, one doesn't preclude the other, right? Like, it's not like, oh, man, I'm sick, so I'm, gonna, I'm just, hey, just going to go live my own life. Whatever happens, happens. But, 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 but do we express his gratitude of God has shown his mercy and his grace in his might? I can't wait to the back end of our building story, however the Lord weaves it, uh, to say, that was a God story. <laughs> And then tell the details of however God moved to say, hey, this is the place that he had for us to do his work here and preach the gospel, love people, plant churches, and reach the nations. That'd be a God story. Division comes when we see he is able. Do we embrace and trust or do we reject? Last of the three stories here is Jairus's. Uh, see, we've seen our, our God, he is, he is stronger, he's over, he's above nature, he's above the spiritual world, he heals demons and, and, and frees us from addictions and mental illness, he, 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 he steps in now to disease and death. Now when Jesus returned, so he goes back to the other side of the lake, this whole crowd is there, the crowd welcomed him for they were waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus who was ruler of a synagogue. Falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Uh, everything in this description of Jairus says, this guy is desperate. He's absolutely desperate. He's a, a Jew, a leading Jew, and, and in this moment, the Jews are looking to kill Jesus, not go and, and fall at his feet and worship him and ask him for things. He's got a daughter, not, a, not only just a daughter, an only daughter. She's almost 12 years old, and she is dying. I mean, how much more desperate do you get than watching your kids suffer? And Jesus went, he goes with Jairus, and the people pressed around Jesus. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. She's been bleeding as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. Bleeding for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living 
on physicians. She could not be healed by anyone. Uh, she's been bleeding as long as Jairus' daughter has been alive. She's spent all she has on physicians, and no one can heal her. Ever been in that moment of desperation? Like, I have tried every way. I've, I've gone at this relationship or that relationship to try and mend it. I've tried to get a job here or there. My health is this. And you're just saying, Not, this is impossible. Desperation. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately, her discharge of blood ceased. All the money she spent all the years, she tried immediately. He heals her just by a touch of his cloak. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? He's going to do a deeper healing now even in her life. Uh, because in her uh, blood and discharge, she has been alienated. It's been terrible physically for her as well, but she's not allowed to worship with everyone else. She has to declare, I'm unclean when she gets near to anyone. And so she has this deep wound in relationships and socially as well as physically. And Jesus says, let's take care of that too. Who was it that touched me? And all denied it. Peter, in kind of true-to-form fashion, Master, the crowd surround you are pressing in on you. Duh, Jesus, everyone's touching you, Peter says. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Someone touched me in a different kind of way. For I perceive the power has gone out from me. Someone has been healed. Then he knows, he knows. <laughs> He's God, right? He just calmed the storm. He knows and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, I love that phrase. She saw she wasn't hidden. She was seen. She was known by Jesus. She's embraced by, cared for, healed by Jesus, who knows every bit of her. She came trembling and falling down before him, just like Jairus did, and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. And how she had been immediately healed. Her life is forever changed. Her soul, her heart, her mind, everything about her is forever changed. She's declared in front of the crowd that had rejected her and wouldn't even have let her close and into the middle of the crowd if they knew who she was because of her physical condition. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well go in peace. Faith is highlighted again. She trusted in him. She came to him. She touched him now falls at his feet it's a repeat of a phrase back from chapter 7 verse 5 where uh, the sinful woman is healed uh, and and said your faith has healed you now go in peace you're, you're made right with jesus the son of god god himself here she is physically this this woman this other woman is, is made physically right and communally restored and the depths of her mind her soul restored as she knows she is loved by god himself while she was, while he, Jesus, was still speaking, remember, this is about Jairus, right? The mighty, the powerful one. He'd say, man, oh, if anybody's going to get a healing, it's going to be him. And, and, and now this desolate one, this outcast, receives healing. While Jesus is still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. I mean, his soul must have sunk. Certainly his power can't go beyond the power of death. Do not trouble this teacher anymore. 
But in contrast, Jesus, who knows who he is, who knows what he can do, who who knows he is able, on hearing this answered, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. Again, place your faith, place your trust in me, Jesus says. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother and the child. It's this intimate moment when mom and dad are there and Jesus' closest friends. And they go through this crowd. They're all weeping and mourning for her, the dead daughter at age 12. But Jesus said to them, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. See, death to Jesus is just like sleep. He's going to wake her up. But they're weeping. They're mourning. They're not wrong. They know she's dead. And they laughed at him. They mocked him, knowing that she was dead. But, again, in contrast, he is able, he is mighty, but taking her hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. Her spirit returned. She got up at once again. Immediately, our God is able. And he directed that something should be given her to eat, and her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. In this case, he says, Look, hey, just stay here and take care of your daughter. Focus on her care. You are desperate, maybe, and he is able. Whether you're Jairus or you're this bleeding woman, the great great equalizers are desperation before our God. When these moments hit, we just say, "I, I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes. I need you, Jesus. I need your help. I need your work. I need your comfort. I need your peace. I need you to do this beyond what I can do. And we fall at his feet. And we ask him to move. And sometimes the storm is calm, the demon is uh, released, the bleeding stops, and your daughter doesn't die. But sometimes the storm rages on. The demon destroys that friend of yours. The bleeding doesn't stop. And your daughter dies. Uh, See, sometimes there is a no, and we won't ever understand those moments. I'll never understand the moment when a good friend of mine, a a missionary in Turkey, loses his six-year-old son in a blink of an eye at night. It makes no sense. The kid was perfectly healthy, and we go and sing about resurrection and this little child's funeral. I'll never understand that. Never understand that. And you and I, we, we probably will not understand the moments where God says no, though he is able. Uh, Some things I do know is Jesus is healing people, even as the disciples are healing people. Not everyone was healed. Uh, Jesus walked by people that had request healing. Uh, Even Jairus' daughter is going to die again. There's going to be mourning later. And it might be even like uh, before the end of her life. should have been, right? Uh, You see, even, you know, it's not all just PG teen when we follow Jesus. All is healed, like his kingdom come, like this overrealized eschatology, which is the end of time coming here today, where his kingdom is fully come. His kingdom is not yet fully come. Uh, everything's not healed. Everything's not perfect. We still weep. Actually, for the disciples, when they start following Jesus, their life gets a lot worse. Worse, right, in one sense. They lose friends. They face persecution. Jesus, uh, Peter is hung upside down on a cross. James, his brother, follower of Jesus, is thrown off of a cathedral to his death and clubbed. It wasn't because they didn't have enough faith. 
Oh, if you just have more faith, then you'd be healed. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes God who is able does that miraculous healing and we say, wow, praise God. And sometimes he doesn't. Even in the hall of faith, right, Hebrews 11, you got all these men and women who are full of faith. Half of them end up like sawed in half at the end of it. You're like, oh, man, <laughs> bummer. And the miraculous is the miraculous because it's unordinary. That's not normal. You know, these moments where Jesus heals and the disciples heal, we look at them and say, wow, that's out, outside of the normal. One day, look, that will be normal in all of eternity. Everyone's going to walk. All minds are going to work perfectly. I can't wait for the day. There will be no sin, no brokenness, no tears. Uh, but these are, are happening in these epics, these moments when Jesus is stepping in and he's saying, you want to know who I am? Jesus says, look at what I've done is what he's preaching as well. His, his words and his actions and might and power, you say, wow, he's God. Same kind of thing with the apostles. And all through the book of Acts, we see this validation of these miraculous moments, the abnormal happening. People saying, wow, I can't believe Peter and Paul can do that. And he says, man, you know what's even greater? The message of the gospel and these moments. Sometimes where we see more normal repetition of the miraculous where or dreams are being had in the Muslim world or, or, or healings are taking place in this miraculous way or the dead come to life. We are in these epics or these places where the, the gospel is not known, the church is not planted. And Jesus is breaking in in a way that says, man, you got to trust this new message you're hearing. Often here, it's through the normal preaching of the good news where salvation comes miraculously, or you share with a neighbor or friend and you see someone's eyes open, you're like, wow, and they, they trust in Christ. Now look, when our buddy got leukemia, we prayed, Lord, heal him in miraculous ways. We pray, heal him. And we also prayed, and use the miraculous gifts of these doctors and all this way you've orchestrated who he's being cared for, and would you do it? And when he was healed, we said, praise God. And it looked pretty normal. But we don't know all the miraculous lace through that. And one day, one day we know every tear is going to be wiped away. Every sickness will be gone. Sin, death, the brokenness. Every storm will be calmed. In some and then in self-reflection, in some, which will lead us into a time of self-reflection right now. In some, let's imagine the miraculous while we embrace our master. Uh, imagine, ask for the miraculous. Our God is able. He's able. There's nothing that stops our God from doing what he pleases to do. And there's nothing he loves more than a son or a daughter of his coming before him saying, I need you. And asking him boldly but humbly. Specifically for that thing in your life that you say that would be impossible. What is it for you? What would be impossible for you this morning? What, what can't God do? What can't our God do? And then as we ask him for the impossible, imagining what he might do, what he can do, what he's able to do, embrace him. Because sometimes he doesn't calm the storm and he carries us in it and through it. And sometimes the demons and the addictions destroy our friends' lives. And 
And we wonder why, Lord, they don't turn to him. So find in him even what you are longing for in that impossible thing that he might do. The peace, the security, the provision, the health, the healing, the caring, knowing that one day he is carrying you by his good purposes, in his good plan, into eternity where he keeps all of his promises. And every tear will be wiped away. And every sickness will be healed. And every relationship with him, if we're trusting him, will be restored. Who am I to deny what the Lord can do? Let's enter now a time of prayer and self-reflection. The first thing I want you to do, and I would encourage you if you're able and, and desire to, would you kneel? Because there's probably something impossible in your life right now. And with eyes closed, would you talk to him about that impossible thing? Would you ask him to help you to have faith to believe that he could do it? To work in your daughter's life, to work in your son's life the way you long for him to. To bring about healing the way you long for it in your physical life or a friend's life. To transform you, yourself, me, myself, my sinfulness, my wickedness. He is able. Would you ask him to work in that area to do that thing? And as you continue talking with him, would you embrace him, the master? Would you find your comfort and your security and your peace in him, his presence with you? Would you find your validation, your embrace from him and his presence with you? Knowing that he's with you, carrying you in his might and his mercy into eternity where he'll make all things new. Talk silently with your savior, with your master. If you're not trusting in him, would, would this be the moment when you trust in him by faith to receive him? Then when you're ready, uh, take and eat and remember who Jesus is, what he's done for you. The, the, the confidence we have, knowing that he's able because he is resurrected. They mocked him on the cross saying, you're not able. Save yourself then while he was saving you and he was saving me. And rose in his might and his power.